Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Well, amen. Thank you, John. Do pray for Mr. Needler as he assumes the role of administrator of our Christian school, that God will just give him unusual wisdom and grace as he proceeds to fill some of the vacancies that exist in terms of the teachers, and then pray for students, that God would give us a great group of students as we move into the fall. Take your Bibles, please, this morning. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're looking at the series, Standing Strong, just a little profiles in the Bible of people of courage, and this will be our theme through the summer. we I've looked at a few examples of characters in the Bible already who have stood firm. Jeremiah, among them, Esther, and now we look at David. We're part two now, David facing Goliath, one of the most favorite stories, I believe, in all of the Old Testament. Last time we met, uh, we kind of already established uh, that uh, there's, a, there's a, a wonderful source of integrity in the life of this young man, David, and we've already looked at some of the reasons that he stood tall. He fought for God. He didn't fight for his own pride or even his own glory. He came to this battle in the name of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Lord uh, who is more powerful than any other. If you're worried today about whether or not the battle you're struggling with is greater than God can handle, remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God and you always make a majority. Last week, we, we decided that the case for courage starts with a longing for, for, on God's perspective for a person who's longing for his purpose and his will. The Lord sought him a man after his own heart. We could say God is seeking for a person today who loves what God loves. The purpose and the plan, the kingdom of Christ, God is looking for those most consumed for his own will. Last week we also decided as we looked at the story, the familiar text in 1 Samuel 16 and 17, the case for courage is built on two foundational truths. And these are found in Psalm 78 as they describe the heart and life of David. He was not only a man of great integrity, loved the Lord, but he had a disciplined and skilled life. It was not only his heart God used, it was the skilled hand. And so we are to be working on the disciplines that would make us candidates for great acts of courage in the cause of Christ. We looked at that and we saw that verse there in Psalm 78, the integrity of his heart, and he also guided his people by the skillfulness of his hands. little shepherd boy. And then our last principle last week, by way of review, the case for courage rests upon a right cause. God's eternal purposes are so important. Well, today we turn our attention again to this familiar portion of Scripture, and we're going to see some, a couple, three more principles to add to our list. And uh, I would just uh, encourage you again to find your place, and we're going to look at this uh, basic premise this morning. Biblical courage means to set aside all personal comforts and concerns and to commit fully to the defense and pursuit of divine priorities no matter the cost. Many great definitions for courage, but I trust that you would uh, remember this as well, to set aside all personal comforts and to commit fully to the, to the defense and pursuit of divine priorities 
no matter the cost. Father, we commit our time together in the Word to you. I pray that you would establish it in our hearts. May we be different spiritually because of our time under the Word and in obedience to the Word. Thank you for each one who's here. May you set aside distractions in our mind for a few minutes, Lord, as we consider the truth that's eternal, life-changing. Thank you for David's courage, but we know it's based on the strength of God. And may we also pursue battles knowing that victory is promised to us because of the victory secured in Christ. We pray that you would teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we met, we established some things from our text that the need for courage really was born out of a desperate need for godly leadership. About a thousand years or so B.C., Saul was Israel's first king. Remember, he came to power because the people clamored, give us a king. We want a king like the other nations around us. And so God told Samuel, the prophet, give him what they want, but tell them what they're getting. There'll be high taxation, so on and so forth, because of the political uh, pattern of kings around you. There was also another problem in the, uh, in, the, in the land. Some of you remember what it was. There was a spiritual problem. There was a decline morally. Remember the sons of Samuel, Joel and Abiah? They were despicable examples of spiritual leadership. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 3 that they perverted judgment. And so the search for character and courage really begins always in heaven. God is looking to and fro throughout all the earth to seek for that one whose heart is prepared, perfect, and mature before him. I love it that God is still longing for people of courage and character. God is still looking in this dispensation, in this generation, for those that will stand strong. It really starts with God's own longing for people like that, and He empowers and fills the longing heart. What are you longing for? What have you spent your week desiring? Do you wake up every morning saying, Lord, what I want is what you want. What I need is what you can supply. What I propose to defend this week is your honor and your glory. We need folks like that. Well, we're in Samuel chapter 17 and verse 26 or so. We've already noted from the text that even before David met Goliath, there was uh, this desire in his heart to make much of the name of God. I come to you, he would say to Goliath, in my, not my name. I'm not here to make a name for myself. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And so often we uh, forget that when we read the Bible stories of great conquest to our children. We make much of perhaps uh, the activity of the Bible hero, or even we make much of the enemy. Wow, we tell our children. Isn't that amazing? Goliath was nine foot nine inches tall. And as I mentioned last week, Goliath looked just like your, I mean, excuse me, David looked just like your preacher, I'm sure, just exactly. Small. (laughs) But we overemphasize the size or strength of the capabilities of the enemy, right? We do that. That's really not the point of Scripture. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. But we ask the question, how could one prophet win a victory over 450 prophets of Baal? Elijah was alone. Or how could the untrained hands of nomads, slaves that came out of Egypt, ever overpower Jericho? How could they ever get through the Red Sea? And we stop amazed at the sea, or we stop amazed at Jericho, the double thick walls. 
we kind of get all wrapped up in the impossibilities around us and we forget the greatness of God. God calls us to remind ourselves that it is God that's great. Uh, You know, the people, when they parked at the Red Sea, all these complaining, Egypt-loving, non-swimming Jews. (laughs) I was amazed in the news as I heard that for the first time in Israel's history, they actually had a swimmer that did great in the Olympic trials for the first time ever. That goes all the way back to Egypt. They were not, the Lord didn't say, do your best swimming across the Red Sea. There was no great power, and God loves that. He loves our weakness. He loves to honor Himself through the template of our own inability. God is the one with exceptional strength, not us. Never has been. Ah, but I like the fact that in our weakness, God is glorified. He is magnified by our weakness. Not many wise, not many mighty, not many strong are called. You ever wondered why you're so weak? God likes it that way. He didn't make you out of stainless steel. He made you out of clay in order that His power might be magnified, whether it be by life or by death. Well, Uh, We've already established something very key to our understanding of courage. When your cause is right, as David's cause was, victory is secure. We see that truth uh, reverberated in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. It is never, it is never, it is never about your strength or the strength of the underdog. I think we make other mistakes. Uh, Ever hear this quote about courage? It's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the fight in the dog. (laughs) I've heard that. It's not about dogs at all, courage, biblically speaking. It isn't even about your intensity or your fighting spirit. Our little grandson, Callan, had visited us for about 10 days or so after the graduation of our our son from Pensacola. He he came back to the house with us. He brought his mother, thankfully, and uh, they spent some time with us. And he had a little phrase. I don't know if he saw a little movie recently about this or not, but little Callan, three years old, um, would often, before he'd run off to something in our house to do, he would kick his little leg back up like this, you know, like this, and he'd put his arms like this. We can do this, Grampy. And then off he went, hitting a wall somewhere. We can do this. Is that a movie or something? I don't know, but the little kid is all, the leg and everything. We can do this. And God is not impressed with what we can do. In fact, that's counterproductive to what he can do. And the point of David and Goliath really is that God loves to use our weakness as a canvas for his strength. Secondly, it's not about the size of the obstacle. I already mentioned this. We often make uh, or measure courage by the size of the adversary. Well, the Goliath was huge, big, impressive, intimidating. He was loud and imposing. Armor weighed 125 pounds. He he would have been willingly uh, recruited by every NBA team, nine foot nine inches tall. Uh, His spearhead, 15 pounds, the size of his uh, his shield was the size of a full grown man. He was imposing, but God is not putting all of our apples in that barrel. That's not the point or the force of the passage. Sometimes we think courage is about. The size of the enemy. Wow, you must be very courageous because your battle is so huge. 
You've got just a great spirit about it. That's not the point of the contest. We tend to measure courage by the size of the opponent. Listen, God, do you think God has ever been impressed by human abilities, strength, power? No. God never has been. I was uh, sipping a cup of coffee on my front porch Memorial Day morning. What a beautiful day it was. I was thinking about this story a little bit in preparation, and I thought about this. What, what, what would happen as I was sipping this coffee with just enough cream, just enough sugar, and uh, around the corner, a lot of sugar, around the corner, um, a little cat. I, I thought to myself, what if a little house cat came around the corner? Would I drop everything, call 911, there's a cat in my yard? No, I'd probably just shoo it off to my neighbor where it belongs. But what if, I was thinking, what if a lion, full-grown African male lion with this big mane and these teeth came whipping around the corner and started crouch, started, you know how cats do, big cats, started crawling his way to me, drinking my coffee on Memorial Day. What would I do? What would you do? Would you slowly put down your cup of coffee, scratch your head and say, that's interesting. Or would you drop the coffee, scream like a girl, and run for the door? Yeah. That would be me. I'd say once inside, honey, where did you put that revolver? <laughs> we got an issue. 911, help me. Scared to death. Here's the point. We tend to think, well, you know, that man was really courageous, David, because after all, he tackled a lion when he was protecting the sheep, grabbed it by the mane, snapped its head. Now, now if, if I did that, my wife inside, I'm sure, would be impressed with me. And as a taxidermist, former taxidermist, I would probably find a way to put that lion's head in my office. And you would go around, if you met somebody trying to choose a church where to attend, you would say, yeah, your church you're thinking about might have a good choir or a music leader, but our pastor... He killed the lion with his bare hands. You ought to come check this out. David did that. David not only killed a lion, he killed a bear like Tim Lee did a couple of weeks, a week and a half ago. I mean, did you know that? You ought to respect our, our pastor, Leela. He went up somewhere north, north and he was out there and with his bare hands. So he told us with his bare hands, he just grabbed this bear. And, no, I think he had some some weapons with him. But that's, that's impressive. I, I, give, I give kudos to any guy who goes out in the woods and hunts bears. That's great. But the point of the passage isn't how great David was. Even though he was skilled and prepared, the point of the passage is God's power, His honor, His glory in the face of blasphemy and, and cursing. And con for 40 days... This man was saying evil, blasphemous things. Blasphemy is just cursing on steroids. It's going beyond taking God's name in vain. And it's dragging the character of God through the dirt. And Goliath was doing that for 40 days. And no one stepped up. I think, and I, I kid tongue-in-cheek here, I, whether David had killed a bear or a lion in his past or not, God could have used a, a man, a drywall finisher if he was willing to step out and say, God, 
I'm tired of this blast. I'm, I'm offended by this cursing. And Lord, if you'll use me, uh, go defend your own cause through me. So that's the point of courage. The only reason God continually presses us into conflicts beyond our human strength, our ability or resource, is so that His glory might be magnified. It's not about your intensity or the size of the challenger. It's not even about a martyr's complex. Well, David did not say, well, I guess guess since nobody else, King Saul, will go out there uh, and face this guy, I guess I'll do it. I'm really not here as a military guy. I'm here as a delivery boy, not for pizza, but for bread and cheese and corn. He, just, he had no onus upon him as a soldier to step up. David had no duty to do what... And Sometimes, well, it's, I guess it's our duty to do these good things because after all, we're Christians and we should. And I guess nobody else will. David did not say to Saul, because no one else will. And I guess I'm just going to throw myself under the bus. Whatever happens, happens, fatalism. No, that's not the point of courage. David is saying, I willingly do this. Let no man's heart fail him because of fear. We have a God in heaven, and I'm going to defend that cause. Courage is born by a desire in our hearts to take God's righteous cause and defend it. Well, that's where we were Last week, I wanted to get you off the runway with that, but biblical courage means to set aside all personal comforts and concerns and commit fully the defense and pursuit of divine priorities, no matter the cost. Well, let's continue this this morning with a a few quick points that would help us as we wrap up this story. True courage says this, the only giant in my life is God. God. Biblical courage is not easily, next point, the case for courage demands that we resist distractions of lesser things. There's a man, all kinds of things whirling around his head and mind. Biblical courage is not easily distracted by lesser priorities. So we get to the story here in chapter 17 and verse 26. David spake to the man that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, this blasphemous man, that taketh, and, and, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him, so, and so, uh, so on and so forth. It shall be done to him that killeth him. Uh, and then Eliab comes in the picture. We know that the part of verse 27 is that the, the, the daughter of the king would be offered in great sums of money and so forth. But we get to the next verse there, and and Eliab, and you know who he is, he's the eldest brother, heard when David spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Can you get the tone here, the brotherly tone, the older brother who's been jilted? He, He has not been anointed the next king, although it was a private ceremony. Not many people knew about this. Eliab did. He was the next in line. He hated his youngest brother for that. You're just here, he goes on to say, I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You're just here for the excitement of the moment, to get away from the sheep. Who did you leave those little sheep with anyway? David said, verse 29, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Biblical courage is not easily distracted by lesser priorities. He... uh, turns the sword into David's heart a little bit. He knew that David was chosen to be the next king. So he asked, verse 28, David, why camest thou here? 
Why, why have you, it's inferred, why have you really come? Well, David could have said, my dad has, your dad and mine has asked me to come and get news of how things are going, or here's the bread and the cheese, that's why I'm here. But he questions David's motives further. That's hard to do. It's hard to look in somebody's heart and see a motive. But he questions it. He asks the second question, designed to humiliate David even more. David, where did you leave those handful of sheep? That's your real job. You know, why, what are you doing? Where are those? Then he really gets mean. Verse 28. You're just here to see the battle. Your heart is see the battle and be seen in the battle. Now, let me ask you a question. You've just had your brother jab at you three times in a row. Most brothers, after about the third insult, would do what? Eliab, I'm coming after you right now. Let's have it out. Put up, put up your dukes, Eliab. You know I'm not here for that reason. But let's, let's, let, and I know you're bitter against me, but let's have a fight right here. Let's, let's settle that. Step out of the tent. Take off your glasses. Let's go. Eliab, let's go after this. What do you, what do you mean calling me somebody who's disobedient, dis- deceitful, Eliab, come on out. Step out of here. I don't know how big, Eliab, how big David was. They're brothers. David could have been 18 years old. But, but there's this natural ire that rises up. Eliab's angry. How easy is it then to be distracted in David's heart by this anger and say, okay, let's duke it out. I wonder, as I was preparing this, at what distractions um, hold you and me from the greatest benefit, the greatest battle that we need to be facing this week. How many hours have you spent chasing rap? If David would have fought Eliab right then and there, just settled it, I don't know how many more days Goliath would have had the freedom to just waltz up and down. If we lower ourselves to be distracted by angry pursuits or bitter... How many years have some Christians been chewing on a bitter bone while there's great causes and soul winning and church use and membership and, and beyond that church service, and yet they cannot... Eliab is bothering me. Some of us are distracted by anger or by lesser pursuits. Perhaps you're doing good things. The good is often the enemy of the greatest. If there is a giant outside your window cursing God, don't stoop to have it out with your brother. Let the priority of God move you in the direction courageously of what's most important. So many of us are distracted by little things or even good things. And that's why the writer of the Hebrews says, lay aside that sin or that thing that so easily besets you, if you're angry all the time at someone, God can't use you to fight battles where anger ought to be properly placed. There is a giant defying God, and I'm not going to stop Eliab to fight you over whether I'm right or wrong or my motives are right. He just simply said quietly as he walked on silently and started asking others the same question, he simply said to Eliah, isn't there a cause? 
Eliab, you should be concerned about the giant, not about whether or not I left the sheep with a, the proper custodial caregiver. <laughs> oh, so often we are the same way. We don't prioritize our battles. We're fighting foolish things. Facing Goliath is much more important than saving face. And so many Christians will wind up in heaven, wind up in heaven with hidden talents, unused potential, chained to excuses, fighting Eliab all their lives. I couldn't serve you, Lord, because so-and-so made me upset, and I had to stop and take care of that. I was fighting other battles. Courage is not easily distracted. Stay focused. Not every distraction is worth a detour. The case for courage also speaks boldly by faith. It speaks boldly. Courage makes bold declarations. I want to be careful here. I do not mean to say that you need to practice what is commonly seen on television among preachers today. And tonight we're going to share three one-minute videos that explain this a little bit. But in our session tonight together as we review the truths and apply them. We're going to look at these, and let me just give you a glimpse of these preachers. And Michael, there you may have to advance these really quickly. Uh, just go ahead and advance through them. Uh, there are three um, little video vignettes I'm going to share tonight about, about those who practice what I call, thank you, the, the, the declarative uh, commanding voice with God. I decree because of a text or a misused verse, I decree that God is going to do this, or I demand, I command God to do this in your life and mine. David is going to say some bold things to the giant, (laughs) but he goes under the humble, surrendered spirit to the just cause of God. He is not demanding God or commanding God. And we're going to talk about more of that. Don't miss it tonight. But there is a, God, you said it, I claim it. I, I, I demand you to do this. Whether it be a healing or a new house or a new plane or a new boat, I decree these things, this favor of God <laughs> into uh, my life. Kenneth Copeland was the last quick uh, picture you saw there, prosperity preacher. I want to say this because we'll say more about it tonight. But one year ago, at the start of the COVID spread, Kenneth Copeland, in this little video, says this, I'm standing in the office of a prophet. And he's speaking now to COVID-19 directly. He says, I command you, COVID-19. I decree you come down. It is over. You crawl on your belly, COVID. I'm trying to use the voice. You crawl on your belly, COVID-19. Get out of America. You are now destroyed, COVID-19. USA is healed and well again. This was a year ago. And we know that after that declarative announcement from Kenneth Copeland, commanding God to extinguish COVID, that's a bunch of foolishness, but COVID-19 then claimed the lives of nearly 600,000 Americans, which should have then essentially shut down Copeland's ministry, amen, as uh, false Well, it is blasphemous to claim to push God around to satisfy our own purposes, no matter how just or right you believe they may be. God is not our puppet. He is a sovereign king. 
He's bound by his word, but not by our misuse of it. So we appeal to him in humility, as James tells us. We ought to say as we pray, if the Lord wills, we'll go there and do that. If the Lord wills, even God in the garden cried out, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Remember, the same God who promised to supply all your needs also said, if any man will not work, he shall not eat. We need the balance of truth, don't we? True faith always involves a surrender to the will of God. True courage always rises up under the banner of this is God's known will. And God will always defend His clear will for us. Now with that admonition, let's follow David out to the battlefield finally. Let's get him there. Let's conquer this giant. Verses 42, we get there and of course there's the cursing that's continued for 40 days and David gets to the battlefield, and verse 42 says, When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He made fun of him. He mocked him, for he was but a youth, ruddy. We mentioned what that was last week, perhaps a red hair, perhaps a red countenance, fair countenance. And the Philistine said to him, David, (laughs) am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves, a stick, staff? The Philistine cursed God by his own gods. The Philistine said unto David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh to the fowls of the air, to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, Here's what's great. Thou comest to me with a sword, a spear, a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day, David makes some prophecies by inspiration of the Spirit. This day will the Lord... Deliver unto thee, uh, deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee, and I will take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know. I hope you underline that in your Bible. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. We are told uh, later in the passage that very few really, of the military men had swords and spears. They were under-equipped. They didn't have the uh, facilities to develop this kind, the forges to develop these kinds of weapons. But God is not impressed by the weaponry of the enemy. He will give you into our hands. So David, uh, as we know, comes to the valley of Elah. And quickly, if I may remind you of the scene that was there, vast canyons, about a mile wide, it empties out into two opposing slopes, each at about a half a mile in length. Between the two, the armies were staged upon the hillsides, opposing slopes. In the middle was a stream. This theater became ideal for both armies to observe the steps of this little boy as he comes down with only a shepherd's staff and a sling at his belt. He stops at the I mean, it must have been the curiosity for all. Is he lost? What's that little shepherd boy doing? Doesn't he know the danger of this uh, battlefield? But he's on a mission, and so he stops at the, at the little stream. And he, cho- he chose his weapons of destruction, five stones that were smooth, the Bible says, from the brook. The contrast in size and age and armor and experience could not be overstated. The boy meets the giant, nine foot, nine inches tall, the giant is well-versed in military practice, and he, he looks down at this little boy and he laughs. Are you lost? Are, is this a joke? Is this the best you have? 
In human terms, Goliath was invincible, growling out his curses, blasphemies against the God of heaven, defying the commands of Israel, laughing at this little boy. What a joke. He's defying the cowards that are holed up in their tents. I'm sure looking out through the tent flaps is what's happening below them at the brook and beyond it. Well, here comes finally a contestant. God had his man. A boy who had just that day heard about the defiance, the challenge, the contest. Somebody would just come out from the armies of Israel. David just heard about it. He said, I'm your guy. He talks to the king. Saul tries to put the armor upon him. It's too heavy. It's just unwieldy. He says, I've never proven this. Let me just go with a slingshot. He does. As he arrives, the giant is incredulous. Am I a dog? Verse 43. It is known, well known from history, that often there would be a contest. Before a contest or a duel, or even a battle, there would be that moment where the two leaders, or the two kings, would, or the two commanders would come out together and have a conversation. I doubt they would have tea together, but they would have this short conversation, perhaps uh, in setting the terms of the battle. Or, uh, but there's this exchange between the giant. He mocks David. He makes fun. I'm going to throw your bones to the beasts and the birds of the air. Well, David's response is, all I've got is a, all I've got is God. You come to me with a sword and a spear, you're protected, you think, against God, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whom thou hast defied, Goliath, you have picked a fight not with me, yes, with Israel, but you have picked a fight with God. And I'm sure that in that contest, there were two audiences. There were the audience there around the brook, seeing this boy talking. What is he, what is he saying? I'm glad the Holy Spirit has good ears because he wrote down for us exactly what David responded to, the, to this giant. He made some strong declarations, right? You, you, you picked a fight not with me, not necessarily with it. You picked a fight with God, And this audience down there uh, must have said, there is no way that little kid, even though he's an Israelite, no way he's going to win with it. What? With a slingshot? Are you kidding me? They're all getting ready for a battle that must, must ensue. And there's this audience in heaven, too, that hears the declarations. Can you picture this? In heaven, there's another audience that's listening. And I'm sure... I don't know that all of them could see in heaven, the witnesses that go before. I don't know how much view they have of what happens on earth, but I'm sure God could see this. And he's looking down at a, at a little boy standing in front of a monstrous man. And this little boy, everyone on earth is saying there's no way he can win. And then heaven's courts hear the declarations of faith made by the lips of a little 17, 18-year-old boy. Number one, God will deliver thee into mine hand. <laughs> God must have smiled. I will smite thee and take thy head from thee. Verse 46. I will give the bodies. This is amazing. David must have known that after his contest with Goliath, there would be another contest with all the soldiers. He says, I will give the bodies, plural, of your army, the beasts of the field, 
another declaration that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Prophetically, he speaks this. This is what makes David a man after God's own heart. This is what makes him courageous. And then a fifth declaration that the assembly here will know that the Lord is not relying upon human power. Verse 50 says, no sword in the hands of David. And finally, the battle is the Lord's. So these declarations of faith set David apart. And in heaven, they heard these, these six declarations of faith. And, and up in heaven, they're not saying, there's no way this kid can win. They're saying in heaven, there's no way this kid can lose. Any person who defends the honor of God with such courage realizes that God is the defender of his own name. We just are conduits of that grace. And up in heaven, they're not saying, this, guy, this kid can't win. They're saying, that giant has no chance. That giant has no chance. Courage is not easily distracted. It makes bold declarations of faith. Courage is the desire to accept, or excuse me, advance the cause, uh, the passion, the cause of Christ. What is that? I asked you to underline those words, verse 46, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. For too long, Goliath, you've had your way with your blasphemies, but I want you to know that this day that's going to stop and that everyone, as he pointed, <laughs> as he began to put that stone in that sling, he's, he's talking, and he's, he said, you're too big to miss, right? Everybody today, will know starts that that's where that song came only a boy named david only else everybody will know i'm i'm thinking he's smiling he's not worried he's on god's side everybody will know that there's a god in israel and he lets that thing go smacks that giant in the forehead staggers around falls to the ground thinking nothing like this has ever entered my mind before you get that. Fell to the ground. David, as you know, takes the sword of the giant himself and cuts off his head, runs it to the camp as a trophy. The question is, as we move now into considering these elements before us, why do you exist? Why do trials come? Why do giants circle your home and blaspheme your God? Why are we so weak? Why are we in the minority? Because through it all, your marriage, your struggle, your home, your kids, your job, people must know that there is a God in your heart, in your home, in your life, in your church, your job, and your family, and your battle. Go in the name of Christ. Go prepared in your heart to magnify His holiness and power. See what great things the Lord can do. You. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for this wonderful example of courage. We're thankful, Lord, too, for your great grace in our lives. You've put us together in such a way that we're weak in order that our weakness might magnify your great grace. Now, Lord, as we consider the grace of Christ that, that is poured about abroad because of the gift of Calvary, I pray that we would be reminded today that we owe everything we are and have and hope to be 
to an old rugged cross upon which you surrendered and gave your life a ransom for us. So, Lord, I pray that as we reflect for a few moments on the great gift of Calvary, that our hearts would well up with thankfulness for the strength, salvation that's available through the gift of your dear Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.